Um, I am ready. Look, we both have candles in the background. Is yeah. that right? Is that a candle back there? This is, uh, this I is a... always have candles whenever yeah. I am doing no. anything. What, so what, I like scent, that. what scent is that? I don't know. I forget. I, don't even know I try not to make it too know. overwhelming, you know, Manila, for Manila people who come in. Yeah. Nice. Just, uh, we're just in my bedroom, so it's like gets rid of a bit of the boy smell. So. <laughs> about. I understand. Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. My name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed Pamela Slim, the author of Escape from Cubicle Nation and Body of Work. Nice. So she had the, as you would have heard in the previous episode about Escape from Cubicle Nation, started as a blog, turned into a book, yep. and she escaped the Cubicle Nation. Yeah, man, pretty impressive and interesting. She's got a bunch of uh, TED Talks on the internet if you want to check her out. And uh, yeah, he's a consultant for clients such as Google. Nice. Mate, it was a good comp. <laughs> Mate, we had a bloody good convo with her. I yep. think you'll learn a lot. Yeah, yeah, let's get stuck in. <laughs> well, I am ready and available and yeah. well scented in order to answer your questions. <laughs> All right, so uh, welcome. Uh, Pamela, to the What You Will Learn podcast, uh, the author of Escape from Cubicle Nation. Can you just start off with uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you are now? Definitely. Um, So I have been in business for 20 years. I quit my job 20 years ago. I was the director of training and development at a financial services firm in San Francisco, which is where I'm originally from. And I had this really interesting journey, which was first working as a consultant to large companies, which I loved, based um, starting in Silicon Valley, so a lot in high tech at a time, 1996, where there's a lot of growth happening. Just super exciting, innovative time to be alive and to be working inside companies. And so I did that for about 10 years. And then at a certain point, I found that there were a lot of people who were pulling me aside as I was doing work inside the company who were interested about how they could leave to start their own business like I had done. And so it's one of those um, unintentional market research things where I didn't even realize I was I was doing it while I was doing it. But after a while, I met my husband um, who lives in Arizona. We fell in love. I moved to Arizona. We wanted to start having kids. So we had, you know, a child. And it was like time to really transform the business and be off the road. And so I became curious about how could I really be helping people who had the desire to leave their job to start a business. So in 2005, I started the Escape from Cubicle Nation blog, which grew in ways that I could never have even possibly imagined. I call it the magical mystery tour. And that, you know, blog ended up leading to a book deal and leading to just meeting and working with thousands of people all over the world to launch businesses, which has been a great joy. And um, the latest chapter is I'm now also, I just opened a startup incubator, which is the physical space that all of you can see because we're on video. People listening to the podcast have to imagine it. You have to come visit me. But um, this is a live incubator where we're doing really interesting kind of learning laboratory things. So we'll do lots of local events to be finding a million different ways to solve problems for small business owners, but then sharing the lessons and the tools with our global audience. That sounds awesome. Awesome, yeah. So were you, were you someone who uh, really disliked or hated your job at the time or, or did you like it and you naturally 
went into uh, becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, you know, people get so confused. It's probably my fault, <laughs> right? Because you write something like Escape from Cubicle Nation. People are like, yeah, I hate the man. Corporate's awful. And I'm like, actually, I loved my corporate job. I love the consulting that I did. So I always say I'm work mode agnostic in that I believe – and, and I feel like I can say this because now I'm 50, so I can say whatever I want, right, <laughs> once you reach that milestone. But like having been a career coach for 20 years and work with so many different people, um, it's not really realistic to say that one work mode works for every person. And we're very fond in the entrepreneur world of saying, you know, you can only be free if you work for yourself and anybody who works for somebody else totally sells out, to which I chuckle because I think, aren't all of you growing companies where you're hiring people? And so does that mean that anybody who works for you is a schmuck? You know? And so that has always been fascinating to me. But it's also that different people at different times in their life have a different tolerance for risk. Some people can love to be in a structured environment. Um, and then there definitely can be certain things about the structure of large companies, which which can be difficult for many people. You know, that's part of what I captured in, in my book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, is there are things that are really funny. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Office Space, which is a movie that came out a long time ago, but like there's a lot of really funny things you can see about corporate life that can be challenging, even for people who like to work in that environment. But my thing, one of the reasons I wrote my next book, Body of Work, was because I got tired of everybody being so dogmatic, saying that you're only cool if you work for yourself. I mean, that just doesn't even make any sense. Um, and all that said, I love entrepreneurship, and I've adored working for myself. So that's definitely been a big passion and joy. Fantastic. You're both of those here, actually. Your body work is getting from the nation. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> no worries. So you mentioned that there are a lot of people coming to you asking, you know, how did you get out? How can we get out too? Is there a certain type of person that that wants to get out of that, like, out of cubicle nation, or become a, a corporate prisoner, as the uh, as the subtitle suggests? You know, I, there, there are different motivations. And one of the things I always said uh, when the first book came out is hating your job intensely is not a business plan. So there, there are many people who just sit, you know, kind of, you know, wistfully looking out the window with the main desire of wanting to leave. And that's real. And, and that there could be some real despair for certain folks that's related to being in a place where you don't feel like you can express yourself and, and you don't enjoy your life. That is exceptionally different than being able to have a successful, functional small business that meets a real need in the market and has a business model that actually delivers value and services that people pay for or, you know, successful products. Those are really two different things. So for me, I have sympathy for anybody who is in a situation where they're not happy. I tend to look at it from the phases that people will go through in order to make a change. So if you just know that you're totally unhappy, then you need to do some work to figure out what do I like? What am I good at? You know, what do I want? How much money do I want to make? And then you figure out if entrepreneurship is right for you or not. And then you start to go down the path of actually building a business. The people that I tend to work with, interestingly, actually don't usually totally hate their jobs. They're good at what they do. They've had professional success. They've had some 
some kind of focus and being used to really um, take on challenges, take action. I have a lot of, I, I did martial arts for many years. So I write about it a lot and I try to throw like Bruce Lee quotes around and, you know, cause I love it. And there's, there's a certain characteristic, whether people are passionate about golf or running or martial arts or soccer. It's like when you've been in an environment where you've had to like suffer over a long period of time, for the purpose of gaining mastery in something, that tends to be a really good client for me because that's really what I find. Not this kind of a gloomy way of talking about entrepreneurship. You must suffer for a long period of time, right? With no like return. But in many ways, like that's the kind of person who's going to understand that instant success doesn't happen. And my okay, here's my favorite martial art metaphor because you opened the door for this. Um, is that it's like where you were to walk into a studio for the first time, never having practiced, and you see this super cool, badass, like black belts in the class, and you immediately want to be that person. Obviously, if you were to go out and to fight that person, you would it would not be a successful outcome, right? You would be very quickly humiliated. And really what it takes is to go through the process as you are learning and you're going through every belt and every test and you're focusing on your endurance and, and your, your, your physical capabilities, you're also developing um, mental toughness, sometimes spiritual strength as you're really you know doing things that are really challenging, you're overcoming fears. And all of the things that you learn at every single stage as you're progressing through the martial arts is preparing you for being in the situation where you really do have that strength and that mastery. So what I've seen a lot is people who might do the equivalent in a business where like you're just starting, you've never done it before, and you're like, somebody has a blueprint and like I can make six figures in two months. I mean, sometimes you do that. Like sometimes people are lucky, which is great. Like if you can make it happen, that's awesome. It doesn't mean that then you have the emotional and the mental and the spiritual strength to actually run a successful long-term business. That's the thing that really takes. And so that's the benefit of putting in the work and, and really focusing on the practice as a business, you know? So I've just kind of stayed away. Like, I, I think there's room for everybody. I just tend to claim my own lane and my lane are people who want to build something valuable, enduring, that's based on ethics and not trying to screw anybody over or, you know, do some like slick marketing technique that like before people know it, they've taken out their credit card and given you money. You know, it's like that to me is not success. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you mentioned uh, just quickly about passion. So what, what happens if someone's in their, their corporate job and they're not, they're not really sure what they love doing or they haven't quite found it yet? How do they, what kind of uh, actions can they take to, to find out what they really love doing and then uh, potentially start a business? So what, what's a common thing for many people in corporate is actually that they've been socialized in that environment. If it's not an ideal environment, in some cases, there are places where you're not really, it's not really safe to share what's on your mind. You know, you can be sitting in a meeting and thinking, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, why am I here? And you can't say that if you want to keep your job. So what happens when that's the case is you actually learn how to just repress that emotion, tune out. And then what ends up happening, I called it, you know, having a frozen soul where you, you don't really know how you feel. So I used to teach presentation skills a lot um, in Silicon Valley, and I would give a topic that we would work on during the class of like, you know, talk about something you're passionate about. 
And very frequently, I would get blank stares. Like people would be like, what? Like I haven't even thought at all about what I'm interested in. I'm just going through the motions. So in that, if that's the case for you and you really don't know, is where you can do some experiments. If there are any actual live bookstores still around where you are, <laughs> I know they're disappearing over here in the U.S., but um, if you do have one, a fun experiment to do is to just pretend you're a heat-guided missile and you walk into a bookstore. You can have a little notebook if you want with you. And just notice where you gravitate, like what section? Are you going into science and technology or gardening or you know, uh, self-help or whatever the areas that you're interested in. And so you can just pay attention to where you naturally gravitate. You can pay attention to the kinds of things that get you either very upset or the things that get you very excited, you know, in general. Like if you're scanning through the channels, what are the kind of channels of things that you're interested in? My son, who just turned 12 yesterday, happy birthday, Josh, he, uh, he loves like how it's made and science of things and you know anything like the science channel and you know things about kind of fixing and making things like that he loves that so as we're scanning the channels those are the things that he's always going to be picking up on um he's also i, I learned a new term for my friend he's a geardo you ever heard that term so no. he loves gear Gear. <laughs> so he'll get he'll get all excited about like he, he plays football he plays soccer you know we call it soccer over here yeah. but uh so he will just spend hours like researching the latest cleats that, you know, his hero Neymar has, you know, on the Barcelona yeah. team and like totally get into it and be sharing all of those details with me. I try to really tune in and <laughs> be interested, even though I'm not a geardo. Yeah. But like th those are the things that you can start to notice of as information is flying by you, as you're in certain situations, you know, television can be useful because the channels in some ways, right, depending upon what those channels are, are kind of categories of information. I love anything to do with transformation, like change your life, redo your house, you know, wear a new outfit. Like I love all of that, which is probably why like I'm trained as a life coach. You know what I'm saying? So those are things I think you can start to do. And documentation is really important. So you can write things down in a notebook. You can create bookmarks and categories where you just notice, you notice the emotional visceral reaction. Like when do you really feel a charge go through you? You don't have to understand it. Doesn't have to make any sense, but begin to collect the data. And I always suggest at least 30 days, if not 60 days, and then you can review it. And that's where you can start to look at what some of those patterns are. And that's when you can begin to see some interesting things. Yeah, nice. I reckon that, that's awesome too, for finding your passion. So the next step, uh, so you talk about a bit about like the side hustle. So you don't quit your job straight away, obviously. You need to start, start slowly building on the side. So once we've found our passion, what's, uh, what are some ways we can go about that initial test phase, I guess, of, of starting that, heart, that, that side hustle? Yeah, um, you know, that I, the first thing I'll just say about that, I mean, that's definitely my recommended approach because it, I've just seen too many times that, you know, the best laid ideas can often be different once they begin to hit, you know, truth and reality. And having a great idea is very different than getting people to pay you for it, right? <clears throat> but um, for some people, some people can be in such a situation to where it's just too hard to do, in which case they just need to really bank up their finances so that they're able to be okay working on a business full time. But um, 
in, you know, in terms of the side hustle, what you can start to do is as you narrow down the categories of ideas that are interesting to you, then you can begin to do little in, in the lean startup methodology, they call it a minimum viable alternative. So what's a way, let's say you wanted to have a business and organizing people's garages, right? Like you want to do that, you know, in residential areas. And so what you would do for a minimum viable alternative is you would first start and say, what could be a basic service offering? You know, like, would it be hourly? Would it be a fixed price? And then you want to go in and you want to test it, like maybe with a couple neighbors, right? Or your friends, just to kind of make sure that you know what you're doing, that your time estimates are right. And then you could begin to take that and maybe create a basic, you know, page, maybe create a flyer have an introductory price, begin to get some, you know, basic paying customers. But you could do that in, in, in any kind of your core business ideas. As you're, as you're evaluating a number of different things that you could do, you know, some people know exactly what they want to do. So it's just a matter of getting the minimum viable alternative in order to get that running, right? So it may be consulting, which is something that a lot of people are interested in doing. You know, maybe they like their profession, they just don't like the work mode. They want they don't want to be an employee, they want to do it themselves. So that's where you want to just start saying, what could be an initial consulting offering that I could do? And how can I begin to get that out the door? So um, where you have a number of different ideas, you might do small tests and then, um, then you see, right? Does it work? Do you enjoy doing it? Crossing the barrier, like the first time you get a paying client, it's so invigorating. You know, it's so exciting for me as a coach to see that because like there's just nothing like that first, that first time, you know? It gives you proof that somebody is willing to give you their hard-earned money. And then once you do that, then you begin to, to develop it. But I, I, I spend most of my time helping people to ship more quickly right? To just, and I, I don't mean just throwing anything out there that's totally sloppy because, you know, you want to feel proud of what you do, but we often make things far more complicated than they need to be. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's not going to take three months to do that. Like, what could we do in this next coming week? You know, could we simplify the page? Could we make the website, you know, just one landing page in order to get started? And that's, that tends to be the way that I help people to just get something out there that people can react to. Very yeah. nice. Very in the nice. Uh, in the book, you you mentioned how um, you recommend going an inch wide and a mile deep. So, why do you think that's important? Well, I mean, I think that's a particular approach. Um, a very common reaction, I call it the "don't fence me in" um, <laughs> reaction for new entrepreneurs, is first of all where they might say, you know, my services work for everybody anybody in the world would do it like the market is just immeasurable because it would work for everybody and that may well be the case however it's a very weak tepid marketing proposition to say i will work with anybody on anything like who's going to want to hire you for that so from one perspective when you're starting at first you do want to be clear as to what it is that you're doing so that people can understand you know again if it's just like hey is your stuff a mess i can help you as opposed to is your garage really messy and you're about to have a garage sale and your neighbors are going to see it you know i can help you organize it in 2 hours or less or something that's like that's what i want so that's a, that's one example of really going an inch wide the mile deep can be where also if you are zeroing in on a particular thing you can do, you can do it in a really interesting way, right? You can be, you know, providing tons of value to people. I meet a lot of people, there's a, um, 
wonderful woman named Emily Wapnick, who has a site called puttylike.com. And she uh, talks about multi-potentialites. And those are people who have a variety of interests. They're not just going to focus on one particular area and niche. And for these kinds of people, it can feel like heresy to say zero in and focus on one thing. Because what it can feel like to them is, I'm saying, turn off all the rest of the parts of your brain and all your interests, you know? So it's not about not being able to do many things or serve people. It's more a matter of timing and focus where you want to give yourself the opportunity to kind of develop one thing at a time. You know, there's definitely some people who can do a couple of things, right? So they might have a service that they could offer to two distinct markets. If they're able to balance that and kind of manage it, then that's cool. But for a lot of people, it's like reining yourself in. And so the example is when I started working with Escape from Cubicle Nation and all of the different topics that you can talk about, about starting and growing a business, there's a very specific period of time between being in a corporate job and just preparing to quit to start your job. That's a really small bridge. I always think about those Indiana Jones movies, you know, where like somebody is being chased to the edge of a cliff and then all of a sudden this like magic bridge appears between the gaps and they get away from the bad guy. That's really how I viewed myself for a long time. It's just helping people across that bridge. And so it, it's actually a relatively small slice of the journey of being an entrepreneur. But for 10 years, <laughs> I like there is so much depth to what is covered in that topic that I could still be continuing just to write about that, you know, for the next 10 years. So we often think that we're limiting ourselves when in fact, it's allowing people to understand specifically what problem you solve so that you can get some market traction. Yeah, fantastic. I just want to uh, back up for a sec. Uh, the type of people that you said that come to you that, that want to leave, I guess, do they just know, they just know, how do they, how do they know that the, the corporate life is not for them? Um, there can be all kinds of um, super interesting like events that can catalyze their desire to do that. Um, in Body of Work, I talk about a loathing scale. So you can imagine that one is you jump out of bed in the morning and you love what you do. And 10 is you get physically ill even thinking about going into work. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when you start to get higher up in the loathing scale, a few things can happen that will be like presenting symptoms, right? To be like clinical about it. So it can be everything from people getting physically sick. And just, I, I've actually talked to a lot of people where that's what happened. They were so stressed out and unhappy that they got physically ill. And so they kind of had to quit. Other people will snap, right? <laughs> be inappropriate in a meeting, piss off a client, <laughs> you know, like do things that just start to really be egregious because they're just on the edge. And for other people, it can be, um, you know, interesting things like, you know, one of their loved ones might get sick or they, they attend an event and they hear a speaker and like they uncontrollably start to sob, you know, it's just like it, something has to happen in the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, right? It's like something that's the call to adventure. And that really is the case for people because otherwise there's a lot of folks who sit back for a long time and just think about it. But when you, when I look at everybody who I've ever worked with, we can usually bring it back to some kind of catalyzing event, some kind of call to adventure where they were like, 
oh my God, I met this person, you know, who like hated every day of work and I don't want to be like that. And, you know, therefore I had to do it. So it's usually, there has to be something because if it's not real for you and you don't feel real, you know, motivation to do it, it's too hard, man. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So uh, <clears throat> back to our, our person. So they've found their minimal viable products. They've uh, started their side hustle and they're started, starting to build some traction there. So what's the biggest problem now in, in making the leap? Because I'm sure it can be uh, very frightening for some people. Yeah, it's bandwidth. It's like a very specific period of time where you're stressed because your business is growing and you still have your day job. I personally am an advocate for not running your side business during your day job hours, right? It's not ethical. It's not smart. You can get in trouble. It's just not a good thing. So you have that responsibility. Then your business is growing. And for a lot of people, it becomes, I just can't handle both of these at the same time, right? And so at that point, then become some of the hard decisions where you have to really specifically look at your numbers, you know, and your finances. It's always going to be a risk. Anything that we do is a risk, right? I mean, staying at your job long term, I've just seen far too many people get laid off unexpectedly and shockingly when I used to work inside companies. So it's not like any one thing is totally safe. However, it is a big deal. If you're used to getting a direct deposit paycheck every two weeks and your benefits paid for, um, then it, it is a big difference, you know, when you make that that leap. But and the other thing that's important to note is people are really different. So people have very different tolerance for risk. People have very different focuses on a need for fact finding and analysis. And I, I've had clients, no no kidding, that had zero debt. They had three years of savings in their account. They had a spouse that had a full-time job, you know, financially, like to and in any other person, they would look stellar and they were still terrified of quitting their job. I've met other people that had a week, if, if that, in their account and like tons of debt. And they're like, let's do this, man. You know, and they just <laughs> totally quit. So it, 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 what, I caution people to be following any kind of a method, right? That says when you have this amount in your bank account, you know, or this many customers, because it's a very personal journey based on your own tolerance for risk. And I've worked with clients before that kind of took the leap a little bit too early. I mean, they thought they were ready. You never really know. And they found that the anxiety of having to make things happen so quickly was so much that they ended up to me making a really smart choice of going back and taking some more time in order to make it happen. You know, the, the thing we don't think about, and often because there's so much propaganda, you know, that's generated on the internet about the ease of entrepreneurship, is for some people, they could have been in the job for 15 years, right? And really progressing through their career, they might have a degree there, they've done all kinds of work in order to get to a certain salary level. And when you're starting something, if it's significantly different than what you've done in your day job, then to think that you can instantly make the same amount that you made from, you know, 15 years of progression um, can be a little bit unrealistic. So, you know, it just depends on, on what kind of business you have and what your expectations are. But at a certain point, you have to just be like, you know what? Life is short, you know, I'm yeah, just going to do yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, nice. Definitely. And uh, there was a good section in the book here that when we leave, there's there's going to be maybe some, some questions and some challenges from friends and family. And you, you came up with some good solutions here. With if you start thinking about or talking about wanting to leave that that that, that quote unquote safe 
corporate job. Uh, what are some of the biggest concerns that maybe your family or friends start to have that that uh, that you need to try and overcome? Well, I mean, they think you're going to live in a van down by the river. You know, that's that was a, a <laughs> yeah. Saturday Night Live skit that we have here. I don't know if you've ever seen it with uh, the dear departed Chris Farley, who was a comedian, and he played a motivational speaker who lived in a van down by the river. It's a really <laughs> hilarious thing. You have to Google it. Um, but, you know... My thought is family and friends, most of them, are not intentionally trying to, to crush your dreams, right? They, they want you to be happy. They want you to be healthy, um, especially if you might have a family and kids or you have a mortgage or something. You know, they don't want you to do anything that's totally irrational. And so especially for family and friends that have never had experience with entrepreneurship, it can feel like you've totally lost your mind. It's just, you know, they like, what are you doing? Why are you blowing everything up? And again, what's helpful to me is when you think about it in the context of they're giving advice based on the information and the experience that they have, you can, you can respect that, right? You can hear it. You can kind of like, okay, Uncle Joe, you know, I realized that once in 1962, you know, you tried something and it didn't work. So I appreciate your feedback, you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, I'll live on the street. And um, you can gather that informa information in a way that's helpful. So there's one side, which is they may not have the experience to really know what they're talking about. The other thing is, which is a little bit more tricky, is when you begin to make those moves, you also can alter the nature of the relationships that you have. And this sounds crazy, but I've just seen it far too many times. You might be miserable and suffering and everything, and your spouse is very supportive. You get used to being in that dynamic where you're miserable and suffering, and all of a sudden you become this like optimistic, happy, creative person, and sometimes your spouse gets all freaked out. You know, like, what do I do? Who are you? Are, now that you're happy, are you going to leave me behind? You know, like all these weird dynamics can start to pop up. Your siblings are like, so what? You think you're better than me now? You know, like things that are just part of human nature. So it's having the sensitivity to recognize the sacrifices that other people around you will make, especially as a family unit, right? When you go into business um, and you have a family, your whole your whole family is going into business together. So it's not just you making the decision. It's really figuring that out as a family unit, right? Including, you know, depending on how old your kids are, like how's that going to be an impact? If you don't have kids yet, right? What's that going to mean? A lot of people freak out when one person now is working at home where they haven't been at home before they used to go to work. You have to acknowledge that that's going to be a big difference for the person, you know, who might be at home. So a, a lot of those things pop up, which to me are really natural parts of the process. And I mean, the honest truth of it is, is sometimes relationships don't survive that transition. Yeah. Mm, unreal. Sure. So uh, yeah, you mentioned a lot of books throughout Escape from Cubicle Nation. Is there any books that you recommend most to people? Um, sure. A lot of them. I think it depends on what you're doing. I, I love uh, Guy Kawasaki's The Art of the Start, and he just did a new revised edition of that. Um, he It's really just good foundational advice um, in, in terms of starting a business. I'm looking at, I have to look at my bookshelf now to see some of like my, my favorites that are up there. I mean, that's definitely a core one. I think when it comes to um, kind of stories and, and the, you know, the, the story of your brand, I love Nancy Duarte and her book resonate about the power of storytelling, because I really think that that is such a core part of what it is that we have to do 
as really for everybody these days, but knowing how to craft a powerful story, um, everything from how it is that you can write good, compelling copy for your website to how you do pitches to people to how you do presentations is really important. Um, so there's just, there are a lot of great, great books kind of depending upon what it is that somebody is trying to do. Cool. They go on uh, up and read either of those. So yeah, definitely on the, yeah, on the list. To come. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. So uh, also one more question as we wind down, what is uh, the biggest lesson you've ever learned? And that might be through your, your corporate life or now you work as an entrepreneur or a speaker. If there's one thing you've ever learned. What, what do you think it would be or the most valuable thing? Never get too comfortable. Yes, nice. love it. <laughs> nice. I think uh, that's that's a big one. You know, I, I wrote about an escape and that during the time in which I was writing the book, actually, our daughter was really tiny. She was just born. And um, so I was writing the book and I was running my business. And my husband had a heavy equipment construction business here in Arizona. And that was right in 2007, 2008, when we had a huge downturn in the economy. So very ironically, here I was about writing a book about the wisdom of quitting your stable job to start a business when like at home, (laughs) we were living like the terrors of what can happen when you have an economic downturn. And um, my dad actually gave me really great advice. He's one of my dearest advisors and most beloved people. And he said, you know what, this is going to make you write a better book because you're not going to be just tossing off information. You're going to be fully helping people understand the implications of taking risks. And I really think that that was, that was true. And, you know, no matter how smart you think you are or how much credibility you have or how solid your business is, there is always disruption that is ahead. And I don't say it to be like freaked out and not enjoying your life. Like I love, one of my definitions of success is to enjoy my life while I'm living it. And it is to just never get too comfortable. You know, that that's when something, you always have a plan A, B, and C, earn your keep every day, respect every customer, be thoughtful about, you know, how it is that you, you do what you do, because you're going to need every single like positive relationship, you know, and it just makes life more enjoyable where you're really awake and you're aware of what's going on. Bloody oath. Well, yeah, fantastic. that's a fantastic way to, uh, to wrap up the podcast. So, fantastic. Where can people find more about you? You can find me at PamelaSlim.com. Easy. Easy. Easy to find. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Thanks so much for your time today. And yeah, hopefully uh, people have learned a lot from that because I definitely have. So yeah, thank you very much. Well, it was so nice talking to you both. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. It was so nice meeting you both. If you ever come to Arizona, come, come check us out. Dude, typically if a book has one passage, one idea, it can have the power to change your life. And that, I think, just justifies spending the 20 bucks and a few hours reading it. When you think of the uh, investment, you think of the input and you think of the outputs on the other end, the, the ROI, the return on investment, massive. Yeah. I, mean, I think books are some of the best things I've ever learned in my life, definitely, all from books. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review. I'll uh, shoot you some message if you've got any book recommendations. Email us at podcast at We're looking for our next round of books to read and review, so flick us your favourites. Flicker it, flick it, flick it, baby.